into grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus, and here is the first or the pilot episode of a new series. I want to say thank you, first of all, for uh, tuning in and subscribing to the Q&A um, for the last, believe it or not, 40 weeks. I had 40 episodes of Q&A, and I'm still getting some questions, so I'm storing them away, and I'll be doing another series of Q&A somewhere along the line. Um but one of the questions, or a question that, that's uh, reoccurring every single week, which I felt, um, I've had one or two questions that I've answered, but ones that keep coming in are people who, who ask me if I remember certain venues. Do you remember playing here? Do you remember playing there? Have you played this one? Have you played that one? And I thought, well, you know what? The more I read through the questions, the more I realised that there was a series there, um, or at least... Um, a run of podcasts where I could explore. Because, see, I've always been fascinated by the people who came before me who were... I, I've been in this business since 1991. So when I came into the business in 1991, I would be playing a lot of the venues that were legendary in Basildon. I'll get to some of those in a minute. Um, and certainly around Essex as well. But I'm going to start with Basildon because there were some real um, legendary venues there. And um, I, I kind of saw the tail end of, of those before a lot of them closed down or um, a lot of them either stopped doing music or became restaurants and things like that. So I, I was always fascinated and having interviewed um, some friends of mine, Terry Stewart, John Summerton, who, who were part of that scene, I thought I wanted to know a bit more about it. I remember as a, as a kid going into the town centre um, and I think we had, they, they organised a school trip to go into the town centre to see the Pinkies. Um, who were at that time were probably about 18 months, uh, maybe a couple of years after uh, Depeche Mode and, um, you know, the, the, the Basil and Bands had started to break through. And there were, there were a, a, a series of them then. You had um, uh, Alison Moye was uh, just starting out. You had, um, you know, so Vince Clark, he was in Depeche Mode initially. But you had the other ones on the edge. So you had, you know, Robert Marlowe and uh, a few of the other bands that were coming through. Um, Steve Hooker was another one. Steve was, uh, I would say it was beginning, but he was he was uh, part of that scene at that particular time, or at least playing those venues. And you had other bands like the Crooks and the Gentry and the Warm Jets and the Only Ones and After the Fire. And uh, these were bands that were playing the the circuit and playing some of these venues. So what I thought would be uh, would make an interesting series would be to, and also interactive in as much as that um, I want this to be an interactive series, like the Q&A was interactive um, and you would send me your questions. Well, I'm going to encourage you to reminisce with me and tell me your memories of certain venues and I'm going to try and cover as many of them as I can. At the moment, as I speak to you, um, I am in the process of uh, filming a, a, a series for YouTube which um, is either going to be Curtain Call or is going to be called One Last Song. But um, what, I've, what I've started doing is I'm finding the sites of some of these legendary venues and I'm singing One Last Song on the site of that venue so that um, you know I, c I can then uh, put together a, an episode every single week, hopefully, about a particularly legendary venue, starting with Essex, and there, are, I'll get to the usual suspects. I'll get to the Esplanade and the Army and Navy and the um, and, and, and the Riga Music Bar where it used to be, and the Twist in Colchester. I'll get to them. Uh, them. I won't miss any anything out. But I'm starting with um, this week, just reminiscing about a few of the pubs, a few of the clubs, a few of the areas in Basildon, and also 
um, some of the music shops as well. M&J's Music in, in Basildon that was there for a few years. Honky Tonk Music in South End, which was there for a long, long time. And uh, Monkey Business in Romford. Um, so if there's any of those that... Um, you know, the, that we can reminisce on. It's really about how we started and where I started. And I want to talk to some people. And I've, I've been in contact with um, a few, uh, I, I consider them to be uh, legends of, of, of um, our industry at grassroots level. Um, and I'll be, I'm not going to name any names, but I'm going to be some, doing some interviews with them and talking about some of these legendary venues that they played and I subsequently played 10 years after them, maybe. Um, and sharing our memories. But um, So stay tuned, keep an eye out for that series. It's probably going to be called One Last Song, but I'll be going across, hopefully across the UK. I'm starting in Essex, and I'll be going across the UK because there were so many venues in the UK that had uh, live music, and it just uh, it was kind of an entity that breathed on its own. And um, this is way before DAB, or way before, you know, there were three or four channels on the TV, and way before backing tracks or anything like that, you wanted to play music, you had to put a band together and get out there. And um, it, it amazed me trying to trying to research this series. Um, and I'm very much a one-man band uh, to a certain extent with this, which is kind of defeats the objects of putting a band together if you're doing it all on your own. But researching this, I, I found that... Um, because it fascinates me. I want to learn about these places and I want to learn about the bands that, that played and I want to thank a few people and they know who they are for getting in touch with me this week and I'll be mentioning them and talking to them and um, sharing and swapping stories about some of the venues. So it's your opportunity to tell me about some venues. Now I'll throw a few out there straight away. Um, so these are part of basically the Essex music scene. Now aside from... The Twist in Colchester, Riga Music Bar, which is I believe is still going, but the site of the original Riga Music Bar isn't. Um, and of course the Cavern is still going, but the site of the original Cavern is, uh, isn't there anymore. So I'm hoping to, to do something on that, although to be fair, who hasn't? That's in Liverpool. Well, I'll get to Liverpool eventually. Um, but the idea really, um, where was I? I was looking at some venues. So um, I'm, I'm talking about... Um, you know, the Esplanade in South End, the Army and the Army and Navy in Chelmsford, which we'll get to. But I'm thinking about the powerhouse in Vange. I'm thinking about the Double Six in Whitmore Way, and I'm thinking about uh, what used to be the Edge Bar, and I'm thinking about what used to be Quilters in Billericay, um, and I'm thinking about um, oh, there's loads of them. Uh, the the Landon Hotel. I'm thinking about the Railway in Pitsy. And these were all maybe the Barge in Pitsy, which wasn't wasn't a legendary music venue, but uh, towards the end of um, towards the millennium, a lot of people were at lots of live music and lots of uh, individual singers and solo singers and stuff like that. I wouldn't wouldn't say it was a hotbed, but it was a legendary venue that uh, actually meant a lot to me because I was a first. Uh, it was where I played my first solo show and and um, with my backing tracks, people. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. But anyway, I was thinking about um, talking about a few of these venues this week, and, and um, I will come back to them um, as time goes on. I will be coming back to them and swapping stories about various places. But how about this for a start? The Double Six, uh, which is in Whitmore Way, or was in Whitmore Way, uh, Basildon. And it opened, it's actually on, it, it was on the corner with the, the Hatherley, or the Hatherley, which is the road there. And there's now a petrol 
station where that once stood. Um, and it opened in the 60s. And it was originally a public bar and an off-license as well. And um, it, was, it became well-known as a music venue. And it, originally, during the 80s, it was renamed the Flying Childers, which is kind of what, when, when people talk to me about it, they, some of them refer to it as a double six and some people refer to it as the, uh, the Flying Childers. But it's the same place. <laughs> um, but um, it, was, it was closed before we get to where, it, where, where all the bands that played there. Um, it was closed and demolished in 2003. And then the, the residential flats are built in its place. And um, I think the petrol garage is uh, part of that site as well. So there's a bit of a discrepancy there because I see it as being a petrol garage, but some people see it as being a bit further down. So that's something I need to maybe research a bit more. But look, this is the pilot episode, so I'm going to find that that out. So many bands have played um, at the Double Six, and I was able to find a few. Um, so if these mean anything to you, then please let me know. And if you're part of any of these bands, I would love to talk to you and interview you about your career back then and the venues you were playing. But um, uh, Otis Way, good band, Prowler, After the Fire, The Rosillos, Trapeze, Breathe, Granny Grunt, uh, Rico Daniels, Dog Watch, Burglar Bill. Now, Burglar Bill keep coming up on various... Uh, when I'm doing my research, they keep coming up. They were obviously um, a legendary local band. Uh, the Crooks... No idea. The Only Ones, Consortium, Brad Troward, Jackie Linton Band. Yeah, Eddie and the Hot Rods. Now, um, Eddie and the Hot Rods would have played there. Legendary, um, I'll say punk band, but legendary band from the 70s. Panic, Steve Hooker has played there. Um, Cox Barra, um, Screaming Abdabs, which was, uh, believe it or not, I think Alison Moyer's uh, first band. Glider and the Pinkies have played there. And also, I found out that... Um, People could uh, could pay fifty uh, p for admission, and fifty uh, <laughs> p to go and see a, a gig like that. And um, some of the publicans included Roy and Doris Pallister and uh, Douglas Richford from the seventies. But I don't know who was the landlord in the eighties. Um, so I'll, I'll be talking about that, finding a little bit more about that. So if there's anybody, again, who knows anything about that, I want to research these places properly because they're part of my history and my heritage. Not me personally, but everybody that's, that picks up a guitar and uh, wants to play locally, because everybody really wants to play locally, it's important to, to know where you came from. And I think these people get forgotten, and I don't think, I don't think they should be forgotten. Um, another band that came down to play at the Double Six, or at least when it was the Flying Childers, was a little band called Iron Maiden. Uh, I wonder what happened to them. Um, but uh, they played there in uh, 1979. On the 27th of September 1979, Iron Maiden, that's at least what I was told and what I was able to research. Um, Hitler's Pajamas, how about that for, a, for a, a band name? Played there on the 16th of May 1979. The Warm Jets were there on the 11th of November 1978. After the Fire played on the 5th of November 1976. Now, how ironic is that, that the band called After the Fire played on, on Bonfire Night in 1976? Um, Steve Hooker was there on the 11th of November 1979. No Romance in China were there on the 10th of October 1979. And then it looks as if they had a three-band uh, showcase or a three-band 
um, night or a festival or something. Uh, Slash Wildly and the Cutthroats, the Screaming Abdabs, which, uh, as we said, was Alison Moye, and Orange Cardigan. They were there on the 25th of July, 1979. And the Double Six became um, a legendary venue over that time. And, of course, the Pinkies had played it. And um, to keep going on about the Pinkies... Um, is because I remember learning a lesson years and years ago from a friend of mine who said, if you don't, if, if you follow the local music scene and make those people the people you aspire to be or, the, or, or you take lessons from them, you will learn so much more. So the people that played locally and the people that were playing the Round Acre, the people that were playing the old Towngate, um, the people that were playing the Langdon Hotel and the people that were playing the railway um, and the people that were playing um, the Double Six and the Powerhouse and all of these local venues and the Ball in Pitsy, um, which was another one along there. Um, there's so many, so, so, so many. And just thinking about them now, I've got so many in my head, I'm getting a bit confused. But they all were instrumental in getting live music out there. And these were the people, as a kid, that kind of fascinated me. That about, I always remember thinking I would have been about eight or nine, well, eight years old when I saw the Pinkies, and they, they performed in uh, the Basildon Town Centre. And subsequently, over the last few years, I've picked up their uh, album. It was the only, I believe it's the only album they ever made. And um, although I've, I, I, I don't consider myself a groupie, um, I have. Um, a, a copy of their vinyl album and I love it I think it's fantastic stuff it came under the genre of power pop um, the obvious influences are there if you listen to it um, but uh, I agree with um, a friend of mine Terry Stewart who put a post on um, after sadly the lead singer or one of the lead singers Paul Egham had passed away in 2017 Terry said that the Pinkies never really got the recognition that they deserved and never really got as big as they should have been. Um, so I, I don't know, but I, I can tell you that um, seeing them in the town all of those years ago, I remember thinking how cool it must be to play guitar and have people listen to you. And um, and they played at all of these venues, and I'll be hoping, really, really hoping, to um, have an interview with, with at least one of them um, over the next few weeks whenever I'm doing this because they really were um, the grassroots things because Depeche Mode went off and of course they're, they're still around today and Alison Moye is still around today and uh, Vince Clark still around today but the ones that fascinated me were the ones that, who were there and then they weren't there but they were putting the hard work in you know all over that time and they were well known locally and uh, local heroes to a certain extent you know and um, Marlowe Rob Marlowe, I think it's Rob Marlowe, but it was certainly he was known as Marlowe, and the Wendy Roberts band, um, who I, I know she ended up going to um, play, I think she plays Karen Carpenter, but she was legendary in the area, um, and obviously you had the obvious, uh, you know, Panic, Hedgehog, um, the Reservoir Dogs, uh, the Beagles, you had all of these local bands that were playing all the time, but we're going back a bit further, Steve Hooker, going back a little bit further. So that's the double six in Whitmore Way. And somewhere along the line, I'm going to go and find the actual site of it, find out exactly where the stage was, and I'm going to sing one more song. Um, so keep tuned, because hopefully I won't get uh, picked up by the fuzz <laughs> and, uh, and led away, because it's just something I want to do. Um, 
But I want to thank um, Andy Price, who did uh, give, give me a little bit of time um, and um, a little bit of um, help with this. And he's going to, he said to me, he's more than happy for for me to pick his brains and Andy was the um, uh, the chief songwriter in the Pinkies so I feel it's only right that he gets a mention um, he's still busy he's still busy with a beat patrol and um, he has Paul um, from the Pinkies who plays the drums and we our paths have crossed a few times although um, I've never had a chance to see them but he's still out there with a beat patrol um, and um, uh, from what I've seen they, they just uh, they, they still sound fantastic and um they play a lot of the similar venues to, to us and we've seen their poster and know that I've probably seen ours. But um, I want to say thank you, Andy, and hopefully uh, I'll be in touch with you soon. Innovation Studios is the perfect place for any aspiring singer-songwriter to take their journey to the next level. Whether that be starting at the basics and building a solid foundation on your first instrument, learning the best ways to perform your first open mic, or refining your current set with an experienced performer, or recording a polished album at the highest of standards. With soundproof walls and perfect ambience and acoustics, our studio is also a great place for a budding producer to learn their craft, hone their skills and begin producing music. Check out what we have to offer throughout our website. Go to www.innovationstudios.com. And the next venue I'm going to look at is the Powerhouse in Vange. Now, it was opened in 1961. And when it was opened, it was known as the Bull. It was known as the Bull Public House and Off Licence. And it didn't become the Powerhouse until 1985. Um, by which time, most of the bands that played there, the Cold Hand Band, Granny Grunt and, and the Business and stuff like that, were playing there fairly regularly at that particular time. And it was uh, known as the Powerhouse from 1985. And it was um, closed in February of 1998 and it was demolished in 2002 and it's now a block of uh, flats. But the lounge bar stage was where most of the bands had played. And obviously the same bands that had played at uh, the Double Six, I'm sure Steve Hooker and I'm sure that uh, that uh, Screaming Abdabs and I'm sure that the Crooks and the Warm Jets and uh, After the Fire and they'd all played. Um, the powerhouse maybe a, a few years afterwards certainly would have played it when it was the ball um, I don't know an awful lot about the complete history of the place uh, I, I can say that I never played it um, but I do know um, that uh, it was a, a very well respected and a, and a legendary uh, music venue that um, the people of Basildon would go um, it was just there by the they, I think it's still called the powerhouse shops but right on the corner there, um, on I believe it's Clay Hill Road, that then becomes Timberlog Lane. Just as there's a little roundabout, just as you turn there, there's a block of flats. Well, that was where the powerhouse was, um, and I don't know an awful lot about who um, who was the landlord or who was the manager or who was the booking agent. Um, so I'd like to know a bit more about that. Um, I don't know if if some of these venues, if they had their own. Um, I doubt it, but they might have had their own sound system installed or somebody was on sound. So I'm trying to learn a little bit more about it. And that, again, will be, I don't know whose flat I'm going to stand in to sing uh, to sing a song, but that's another one that I'm, I'm looking to uh, play one last song uh, at the, at the, on the site of the Powerhouse uh, in Vange. So, uh, well, Powerhouse in, in, yeah, I think it's Vange, isn't it? Um, it comes under Vange. 
I always see it as being basil and sort of stroke pitsy, but it's it's kind of there. Um, and it's not far from the barge, um, but it was a very, very different uh, vibe and a very, very different feel. I mean, the powerhouse was a, um, a live music venue, whereas the barge was a legendary, legendary pub, which actually has its own uh, its own story, um, which is uh, just unbelievable. The, the, the barge was there for sort of 200 uh, 200 years or something like that. Um, it was just, I mean, it's it's been uh, the venue for civil court proceedings over the years, coroner's inquests, um, and it was used quite a lot during the 18th and the 19th centuries um, when, the, when the towns and villages, they were lacking in space. So they, they were looking for buildings that were capable of holding important ceremonies and meetings, and the local pub was the only large indoor space where these public events could take place. Um, and also they would hold auctions um, and what they call petty sessions um, before police courts, which are obviously just uh, judicial inquiries. Um, and they would take place upstairs in the pub or in the back room um, because you it was the only place in the area that was big enough to hold that many people. Um, so the in, in 1896, um, at the Pitsy Dynamite Factory... Um, there was an inquest held at the barge, which attracted great interest. Uh, James Jiggins, who was a labourer from Pitsy, was only 28. He died from the effects of inhaling nitric acid fumes. So there was an inquest held at the barge um, in December of 1896. So that has been there for a long, long time. It finally closed. I mean, it, it, a pub existed there uh, in some form or another since 1840. And people said that before it was the barge, it said that um, the site was named the Man with Seven Wives. That was the name of the pub before it was that. And it was a man called uh, the first landlord, first recognised landlord was John Addy, or John Addy, um, and, he, and he lived at the pub. But um, he couldn't get it off the ground. He, he wanted it to be a beer shop, but they wouldn't let him do that, so he was turned down. And uh, the, the magistrates of Billericay, they refused to grant him a licence. Um because he'd been opening it in proper hours. So it sounds to me as if he was having a lock-in, even even back then. Um, but in February of 1869, um, the, the, the landlord uh, became James Emmons, um, and he was granted a licence to open it as a pub. Um, but uh, he didn't get the trade that he wanted, and he filed for bankruptcy. Um, better times were ahead, um, and the barge was somewhere that I played so many, many times. Um, and the last uh, family that were there for, for ages was uh, Graham, Graham and Geraldine, Graham Evans, Geraldine Evans, and then uh, Angie was a good friend of mine. Um, and they were they were there for ages, and eventually it closed in 2013, and it's kind of stood um, since then on the corner there, um, just boarded up. And um, apparently there there have been various people who wanted to um, either either try and reopen it as a pub or to try and um, uh, open it as something else as a matter of fact um, there's there are rumors that the South Essex uh, South Essex Islamic Trust have bought the, the site and are looking to build um, a culture center on the site um, but I don't know they've had to apply for it two or three times by by all accounts because uh, a lot of the people, a lot of the locals and a lot of people were seeing it as a legendary uh, pub and a legendary 
um, venue that uh, shouldn't be tampered with. But the truth of it is, it's it's sitting there empty. So I, I don't know. Unless you're going to open it as a pub, um, I don't really know what you what you can really do with it other than demolish it and build something else. I, I hope it doesn't uh, end up being demolished because it's a legendary legendary venue. But that's a little bit of history about the barge. And um, a little, another little bit of history is I played my first ever solo show, show there in 2002. And uh, I had a brilliant time doing it as well. <laughs> so um, that's, uh, that's the history of the barge. There are so, so many other venues as well that uh, I made um, notes on that I'm looking to, uh, to work on. Here's one, the Rising Sun in Billericay, opened in 1810 and closed in 2014. It was just there on the corner. And I'm sure bands played there and many, many solo artists have played there subsequently. Um, so again, if anybody knows anything about the Rising Sun in Billericay, that opened, as I say, opened 1810, closed 2014. Uh, the Castle in Wickford, that was a legendary um, music venue, the Castle in, in Wickford. Um, because, and, and also, uh, just why I think of it, the Dickens. Uh, I think it was the Dickens in Wickford, and then it became Frasers in Wickford. And we played Frasers many times, and I'm sure it was the Dickens before then. So if anybody knows anything about the Dickens, um, I'm going to look into that one. That's another venue that I really want to really look into. Um, the Rifleman in Garden Hill um, was demolished in 2014, and that had been there for a very, very long time. Uh, obviously, the Ball in Pitsy, that was only demolished two or three years ago. And then there are, there are venues like the Langdon Hotel. There are venues like the Pitsy Railway. And then, of course, there are the bigger venues, the Esplanade on the seafront, um, the Twist in Colchester. There are so, so, so many. And I, I'm asking for your input. I want you to talk to me and uh, email me, as you have been during the um, Q&A. I've tried to, you know, as much as I could, answer all of your questions. And now I want to find out a little bit about these venues. I'm not looking to write a book I'm not looking to, you know, get a million subscribers. I'm, I just want to research um, the people that came before me. I want to. I want to know more about the venues that I played as a as a seventeen year old and took for granted that were that used to be legendary venues, and by then were run down venues with with hardly any carpet and you know and a, and a, a new generation of people who who were busy on their um. I was going to say on their phones, but uh, probably just a bit before that. But a new generation of people who were watching Sky TV and and had so many channels on TV and and, and um, just that that's what I want to do. I want to find out a bit more about it. So I'd appreciate any help that you could give me and any any correspondence that you'll get. And I'm going to do some interviews with a lot of people. There's another venue that I'm um, that I'm interested in um, just outside of. Um, of, of Basel and just up up in in uh, Chesson, which was uh, the Vault, and Wall to Wall played the Vault many times. Even if I just made a list of the shows that I'd played and the venues that I'd played that weren't there anymore, um, there'd, there'd be quite a few. <laughs> We've closed down some seriously great venues, so any input that you can give me, I'd be grateful for. That's kind of the point of this. It's an opportunity for me to thank these people who paved the way for for uh, people like myself to pick up a guitar and to aspire because we all want to be you know we all want to be Hank Marvin we all, we all wanted to be Elvis we all wanted to be the Beatles um, 
But, you know, let them be the Beatles. For me, it was a case of I, I wanted to play my local pub and I, I wanted to pick up a guitar and, and have an audience watch me. Um, and um, I'm still waiting for that, by the way. Most of, most of audiences, um, never mind 40 weeks, I think most of the time they're giving me 40 winks. But, um, no, I'm still, you know, I'm still inspired by working with um, other musicians, meeting uh, other musicians, swapping stories with other musicians. And, and you can tell the first 10 uh, interviews that I did, the grassroots interviews, and there's a new series of that coming, by the way. Um, I've got the Sandman. I've got Ryan Sandham's going to do an interview with me. Um, I've got uh, Riga Steve, Steve Catamona. He's going to talk to me about, um, obviously, um, yeah, Riga Music Bar, but obviously the, the the very I don't think anybody knows more about grassroots music than Steve. Um, I've got Sean, who was the agent at the Army and Navy, who's agreed to do an interview with me. I've got uh, Paul from the Vault, who was a landlord there for a good few years when we were there, um, and he's going to have a chat with me and talk to me about things like that. So, as I say, a lot of these venues that I'm talking about um, this week, I'm going to come back to in more detail, but I needed to start somewhere, and I needed to have a pilot episode where I told you that this is the point of it. I want to research these places. Ever wanted to play guitar? 10 minute tutorials. Now on YouTube, beginner's guitar. Marcus takes you through the early stages, tuning, basic chords, and strum patterns to start you on your journey. Further information, go to www.innovationstudios.com. Belvedere in Wickford, um, which was opened in probably about 1990, somewhere around there, 1990, 1991, had the golf driving range behind it. I played that more than once, and that was a hotbed of entertainment and cabaret. And every, you know, every night of the week, there was something going on. They used to have talent nights, and they used to have live bands. I know the Dreamers played there. I know they had a lot of... um, Legendary bands had played it, and a, and a lot of the local bands had played it. Um, and I'd love to have an interview with um, Ian Drury, which is D-R-U-R-Y, and he was the um, owner of that um, over that time. And I'd love to have a conversation with him. So he's on my hit list. So if anybody knows Ian, tell him I'm looking for him. I'd love to talk to him about the people that he had there, the friends that he made there, and the um, and the people that played there, including us. We played there. Um, and uh, we probably weren't as successful. We didn't sell as many tickets as uh, as the Dreamers, but we sold a few. Um, and there are so many venues. The the the, the Railway Tavern in um, in Pitsy had bands all the time. Used to have Sunday lunch times, and used to, I believe, have Saturday um, Saturday lunch times shows as well. And um, my my mate Ken had a residency there, and. Um, you know, the, um, unbelievable. The Dickens in Wickford, as I mentioned earlier, I, I went there. It was one of the first times I ever saw live music. I was about 16. Oh, I was live music, but it's the first time I actually went out to see live music. And there was a, a, ble- a blues band on there, which I believe may have been Nicky Moore, but I, I saw a blues band playing one Friday night at the Dickens. And then when it became Fraser's, uh, became a wine bar, we played it uh, many, many times. And we used to run our um, 
so we, uh, we we ran an open mic there for a while, my dad and I, and uh, we we also ran some band showcases and sold some tickets and just had some fun doing it. And um, Dave Simmons, who was the manager then, or it was was a friend of mine from school, um, was so accommodating and really really did us all a big favour. Um, that was that was a legendary venue um, for us to play. There were obviously others like the Castle Main and places like that. They're still there. Um, so unfortunately they won't, although they are legendary music venues, they don't really qualify for, uh, for the curtain call podcast, which again, as I say, is celebrating the venues that are no longer there and the legendary bands. And I consider them legends, you see, because anybody that wants to pick up a guitar on a Saturday night, you're a legend. Um, particularly if you've paved the way for others to do it, if you've helped to create, because no no pub, no music venue can become anything unless the people that play there help to build it up. If everybody that plays there isn't any good and doesn't have a following, then that pub's going to die. It's not going to last. And um, this is the important thing. All of these places, these legendary places around around the UK, around the world, but around the UK, legendary clubs, legendary music venues, legendary pubs where people would go. Some people may have met their future wife there or their husband there. They might have met, you know, somebody there. They might have heard a band there and then followed them for the rest of their career right the way through. You know, you might have seen Iron Maiden in, in 1979 and you might have maybe bought their single or something and then you're still following them now because you saw them at a pub. That's what fascinates me. Because for every Iron Maiden, there's another band that's still doing that circuit now. Didn't get Wembley, didn't get Brixton Academy, didn't get stadiums. But they're still doing that circuit. And they're still busy and they still have a cult following. Bands like Hedgehog, you know, bands like Anthem, bands like Panic, bands like, um, oh, there's so many, there are so many, Steve Hooker. People are still paying money. People like Phil Burdett. People are still paying to see, see Phil. People are still buying his albums. He never got Wembley. He never got Brixton. But they're still following his career. And I find that quite fascinating. And, and in a way, that gives me hope because it gives me a reason to write songs if I feel that I can have an audience. I don't expect to change the world. But it would be nice to play some of these places and have people come and who have bought your album uh, or have, who know of you. Um, and that's what always fascinated me because these people seem so accessible. I've met Phil Burdett a few times, you know, accessible. But to me, he was a hero because he was selling albums, writing music, and people were buying it. Uh, the Pinkies, you know, I've corresponded with with most of those gentlemen, and um, but but to me, they were they were what what I aspired to be when I was younger. You know, to, to, to play somewhere locally and to have people who are in there listening to the music that you played. So it wasn't, um, it, it was just something that, that fascinated me. And then those those guys are still playing, although they did have, you know, they, they, they I'm sure they did have tours. I know they appeared on um, TV in, in other countries and I'm sure they, I'll, I'll hopefully find out a bit more about their experiences but the guys that were in that band, as I've said to, to my daughter many times, if I met Harry Styles 10 years from now because I'd made a good album and he'd made a bad one, he's still Harry Styles, 
right? It doesn't matter. He's still that guy. He's still that person that did all of that. He still did it. And the Pinkies, um, you know, Paul, Andy, they, they did it. Max, Neville, they did it. You know, they tasted it. And they're accessible blokes that you can meet playing shows in your local. And that's what fascinates me. There's a rumour, and I don't know whether it's true, but I read it somewhere. Growing up, right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, reminisce a little bit here, so bear with me. People of a certain age, to get away from music for a while. Growing up, I watched religiously, you know, kids TV, and my favourite was Sooty and Sweep. All right, particularly Sweep. He he just I love that character. I love that dog. Right, and I, I, I know this sounds really stupid, but I'm but I will get to the point in a minute. I'm just reminiscing, um, and I loved that. And Matthew Corbett was to me because I know they've got Richard Cadell now, and of course I had Harry Corbett years ago. But Matthew Corbett was the was the one that I grew up watching. It's like everybody has a Doctor Who, right? Everybody always talks about it. Oh, my Doctor Who was Peter Davidson or whatever. Well. Well, my sooty and sweep was Matthew Corbett. Well, I, I know he wasn't in the best of health last year, but up, up until probably a couple of years ago, he'd gone back to his real name, which is Peter Corbett, um, because, uh, and, and he was playing shows with his own material going around the pubs um, in, in uh, I think he's, he's, he's originally from Yorkshire, I think, or that sort of way. But he was going around playing some shows in the UK, um, playing some shows and just taking a guitar and, and playing some songs um, and just having some fun, really. Maybe people were people were talking to him, but because he was going out as Peter Corbett, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily um, recognise the name because he wasn't going out as Matthew Corbett of, you know, of the Sooty and Sweep show. He was going out as Peter Corbett in his own right with an acoustic guitar or his guitar playing some songs. And you know what? I love that. I love the fact that... Um, you know, you could because if if I were if I were to meet Peter, and say, can I pose for a picture? He's still the guy that did everything on ITV and the and the BBC. He's still that gentleman. He's still that person. And although I don't, I wouldn't necessarily want to keep reminding him of it, because I'd want to. You know, if I met him and talked to him about his music, I don't really want to talk to him about his music, because everybody talks to him about the puppets. I'm sorry, kids, but they are puppets. Although they are real, aren't they? They do. They are so real. But I'd want to talk to him about his music, and but he's still that guy that did it. So when you meet these people, um, that they're the ones that fascinate me. The ones that you can have a conversation with, you can have a beer with. It's like when I used to follow the darts. I used to love it because they'd be on stage playing the match on live on TV, and then at the end of it, they come off, and you get on stand at the bar with them and have a beer. They were working class heroes. And a lot of these people that I'm hoping to research are the working class heroes for me. They're the people that made a difference to me because the ones that are on TV that have got millions in the bank can't really tell you uh, or give you any helpful advice about your show at grassroots level. But the people that came before me the people that were there before, the the the, the Steve Hookers and the and the uh, Hitler's Pajamas, and some of these bands that I mentioned earlier, Big Lin, people like that, uh, No Romance in China, you know, Orange Cardigans, uh, the Gentry, the Crooks, Hedgehog, 
all of these people that came before Pinkies, of course, have been mentioned more than enough. You've had enough of a plug on here now. Um, but um, th these are the people that I would want to talk to and get advice from because that's the level that I'm at. And I know that it's always important to say, okay, you want to aspire to be something. You want to aspire to be the best. I get that. But if you're on the same circuit as people and they, they kind of were doing it 10 years before you, I want to find out their experiences. I want to hear their funny stories because these days it must have been great to play a show. And I vaguely remember it, but it must have been great to be able to play a show and know you had everybody's attention. That is why they were there. They were there to watch your gig. These days, you look out and if uh, those that are not filming you play are checking their, their phones, their Facebooks. You get the businessman in the corner with his laptop doing some work. You know, technology has kind of come along and and ruined the experience of people actually paying money or actually going out to specifically see a band. Now they're just going out. And um, I want to know about that because I only saw a little bit of it before technology came along and before, you know, I, I remember um, somebody and they were waving their phone about and, 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 uh, and, and they were sort of, now and again, it looked like they were filming me and then they would hold their, their phone in the air and I thought, Oh, they're filming me. And when I spoke to him in a break, he said, no, I couldn't get a signal. So I, was <laughs> so I was holding my phone up to see if my signal would get any better. So I said, oh, I thought you were filming the crowd and me. He went, no. You know that indignant way that, that kids, um, boys in particular, if you say, uh, I reckon you love her, they always sort of go, no, right? Well, it was that. It was that voice. So I sort of said to him, I thought you were filming me. He went, no, I couldn't get a signal. And I said, okay. But I thought he was sort of going, great atmosphere here, you know, moving his camera around, showing everybody. And I've got, I've heard so many great stories from from uh, other family members, uh, you know, my uncles who were both in bands. And I'll be doing an interview with um, with Alan um, very, very soon, talking about that circuit and the places he played. And um, because the stories are great. Um, this is this is the, these are the people who travelled up and down in the vans with just a book or the radio. You know, they didn't watch a film on the way. They didn't, you know, uh, play play uh, Candy Crush or Angry Birds on the way. They had to talk to each other. And that's why the chemistry, I think, was so strong in amongst of these bands. And that's why um, a band like uh, the Pinkies, Andy, and they're all still mates. And they all still play music together because the bond is so strong. Because when they were traveling around, they had to talk to each other. They didn't just stick a set of headphones on and um, listen to music, their own music in their own world. They didn't just stick a pair of headphones on and watch a film. They had to talk to each other or maybe read a book, you know. Don't disturb him, he's, re he's reading the latest mag magazine, They're picking up a magazine at services, you know. And that's why, see, bands these days, I feel the chemistry isn't as strong as it was. And the reason it isn't is because technology has come along and there's always a better party going on somewhere else on your, you know, on your phone. I see, I see social media, particularly the, um, you know, the the, the usual suspects, uh, the Facebooks, the Snapchats. That's a, that's a party that's going on somewhere else. That no matter where you are, you're always wondering if there's a better party around the corner. So you're trying to find out. Back then, you committed to that party and you made the best of it. And the chemistry between the bands then, and the fact that they can play, they could play, 
and they could play live. And the reason they could play live is because they all knew each other all so well. Um, it happens in wrestling. You get a tag team and they travel everywhere together. But these days, the tag teams, they, they don't seem as in tune. When you look back at the legends, and I know I've, I've gone off, you know, off, off track a little bit, but the point is valid. And that is, if you look at the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation, and you look at the, the Rockers and all these people who were the WWE, but also other organisations, legendary tag teams, the reason that they were all so close, the Midnight Express, the, the, the Rock and Roll Express, you know, in NWA, was, believe me, I'm a wrestling buff as well. The reason that they were all so close is because between venues, between arenas, between, uh, you know, dates, they were traveling together and there weren't any real distractions. They would talk to each other. They, they would really talk about the business they were in. They would share stories about what they were in. No doubt, as I talk to some of these uh, people, I'll be learning about how you might put a song together in the car on the way. Because you're all singing together, you might work on harmonies together while you're going. There's so many things that you can do. But now, you get in, you climb in the van, you put your headphones on, and you get out the other end. Um, so the chemistry that bands have is what always fascinated me, and that's what I want to learn about. Because these are the are the are the people that know about and and that lived. What I only I only had about four or five years of this before technology came along. So actually a bit longer than that, about 10 years. But they had the, most of their career at that time was people actually specifically going to see them or to go and view, to see them on a Saturday night. They weren't just there on their phone. They weren't just locals. They would make the effort to go and see them. And that is what fascinates me. And I want your help. And I, I know I mentioned the vault earlier very, very briefly. I know that's closed down now. And I've been trying to find out a little bit more about that. You have to remember... There are hundreds, hundreds of venues, thousands of venues that uh, are out there, and I want to hear about them. I want to hear your experiences of them. I want to hear your stories about the people that, that were there. Maybe you met somebody there. Maybe you saw a band there that you followed. Maybe you were going to see a band there and you couldn't make it, whatever. Whatever your story is, because I want to learn about these venues, because to me, whilst people are travelling the world to stand in the same spot as somebody else, so people, you know, you see it all the time. Oh, he was born in the building that used to stand right here. And people do it all the time. Nobody pays attention to grassroots music. Maybe it's because there's not a market for it. Well, you know what? There's a market for it here. And I'm intrigued by it. I've always been fascinated by it. And I, not only do I want to know more about these legendary people, these people, I want to, I want to meet them if I can. And I want to swap stories with them. Because they know far more about what I do than anybody else. They know what it's like to turn up and to sound check yourselves and to set your own gear up and set your own PAs up. They know what it's like to play on the back of a truck somewhere in a, in a barnyard just for somebody. They know what it's like. And I want to talk to them and I want to share that with you. So this has been the pilot episode of Curtain Call. I hope you've liked it. Please don't forget www.innovationstudios is the website but you can email me on innovationstudiosuk at gmail and that will be with either sharing a, 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 a story about a venue or reminding me of another venue or giving me another list of venues to explore because I'm going to try and find out as many about as many of them as I can. I'm going to try and do it the old way. 
I'm going to try and read about it. I'm going to try and find some information about it. I'm going to try and meet up with some people. I'm not just going to click on the internet and download a picture and then just read from it. Well, I am, but, you know, I'm going to make it sound like it's far more, far, far much more hard work than sat on my backside two hours a week clicking on Google. I want to be old school with it, all right, because that's what this, this is about. It's about old school. We know what technology gives us now. We know what we can do. We know we can turn up at a holiday park with two speakers on stands and a PA and our phone and press play and sing all night and earn decent money. I want to talk to the people that used to lug, you know, probably a couple of thousand quids worth of gear to earn 200 quid if they were lucky. These are the ones I want to talk to, all right? And I'm going to, and I'm going to have fun doing it. Thank you for listening to Curtain Call. Don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube on the Grassroots UK channel, Grassroots Music UK channel. You can find us on Facebook um, under Innovation Studios. You can find us on Facebook under Grassroots Music UK. Find us on Instagram at the Grassroots Music UK podcast. Um, And as always, I'll be back next Friday at 6 p.m for week two of Curtain Call and uh, by then I'll know a little bit more and hopefully I might have one or two interviews that I've started and a little bit more so it'll be a bit more involved next week but this week is really about me appealing to your better nature help me please find you know help me to find out a bit more about this industry that I've been in for all of my adult life um anyway until I do thank you for listening in if I've ranted a bit today let me say in all honesty I couldn't care less. I get excited about what I do. I get passionate about what I do. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can, you can always vote with your ears if you want. But you're rolling your eyes going, he's on one again, isn't he? Anyway, look, thanks for being me, mate. Thanks for listening in over all of these weeks. And uh, please continue to listen in. Please continue to contribute. Um, and until, until I speak to you next Friday, take very good care of yourselves. Um, and I wish you all the best. I look forward to chatting to you soon and hearing from you soon. Anyway, look, I'm out of here. Yours in Music, signing off. Bye-bye for now. Bye.